welcome back to our show, Dreams, Passion, and Your Hong Kong Story. Today we have with us someone who's not just an eminent business person, but who's highly regarded in Hong Kong for dedicating his entire life to public service and for the progress of the city of Hong Kong. Let's meet Bernard Chan, President, Asia Financial Holdings, and convener of the non-official members of the Executive Council of Government of Hong Kong. Hello, Bernard, and welcome to our show. Hi, how are you? Very good. Thank you so much for giving us the privilege for having you here. Bernard is the president of Asia Financial Holdings and chairman of Asia Insurance, one of the financially strongest insurers in Hong Kong. Bernard is the recipient of many awards and honorary degrees, some of the most prominent ones being the Gold Bohonia Star and the Justice of Peace conferred upon him by the government of Hong Kong. As a successful business leader and as someone who is so engaged in public service in Hong Kong, how do you manage your time and still remain so high en energy and look good? How do you do all that? I have to, uh, in fact, I think you should ask my wife about this because <laughs> I actually find that the most challenging uh, uh, use of my time is between my office. Now, of course, office is further divided into uh, my professional work, uh -huh. my public work, right? These are the two main areas. But between that, then, of course, is my family time. So my wife um, wants to make sure that I spend enough time for my, my two boys. I have two sons. I actually spend a lot of my time with my family, with my father, with my kids, and making sure that um, you know, I, I fulfill my family obligation as well. Okay, so amongst all your business achievements, which one of them is you know, something that makes you super proud? Uh, you probably read my CV. I studied studio art yes. in college, so politics was never anywhere close to, to the, my radar. So, but by accident, I got into politics, and uh, one thing led to another. I got into other different public services. And the, the one that actually turns out probably is um, probably the best thing ever happened to me is um, my involvement with the Hong Kong Council of Social Service. Mm -hmm. The Hong Kong Council of Social Service is basically a, it's like a, it's like a chamber, but it's not a business chamber. It's a chamber for all the NGOs in Hong Kong, the welfare NGOs. So, and so long story, I've been involved in the organization for 20 some years. I've been the chairman, chairperson. I got into politics uh, a year after Hong Kong returned to China. And also around the same time, Hong Kong faced with financial crisis. So, you know, we were in deficit. Um, so, you know, the entire government spending need to be, to, needs to, uh, need to change. So, and so welfare spending uh, was, was was some, somehow have to be cut. So I was there at that same time, and we ha everyone has to look about restructuring. So I think I was quite fortunate uh, that I got involved at a time a change is needed. I, I, I saw that there was a, a complete um, loss of connection between the NGOs and the business world. The, the, the business sector is complaining that money are uh, wasted spending on all these unnecessary charities. Mm. Whereas the charities blame the business uh, always about money. Out of the blue, <laughs> I came up with an idea. I thought, whoa, why do, you know, we should build a platform to allow the two sectors to work together because they actually do need each other. So I created this platform called the Caring Company, Caring Company Campaign. Uh, well, of course, when I first started, 
I didn't expect that this thing would grow so big. Uh, we have 259 companies, corporate uh, company. I just got them together, create this platform, and basically highlighting, you know, what a CSR. So, what was your biggest learning from this experience? Well, I think the the one key factor, which is you know, you can apply to even today, is is how do you look from other people's perspective? I mean, I come from the business world, so I tend to look at things from in my, in my perspective. And a lot of time, uh, why, there's, why there is that such a mistrust? Because we never try to put ourselves in the other people's shoes. So there's one lesson I learned. So I spent 20 some years I, in my public job requires me to engage with different, different you know, walks of life. Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that I, I was able to survive in 20 some years in the welfare sector. I can't say I am a welfare person, but yet, I think I am trusted by them, but equally at the same time, I've been trusted by the business sector. You have, you know, you of course have a big business that you're running. What actually motivated you and to so generously contribute towards public policy and social initiatives for the city of Hong Kong? Um, I fell ill when I was in, actually, my very first two weeks in my college days. Mm -hmm. I got into, uh, I got very sick, you know, I, got a, a very rare disease and so even for the first three years in college I had you know, I gone through three bypass operations and so on and so on. So um, I obviously took a year longer to graduate but it, it was a, almost like a 10 years ordeal with my health issue. But that 10 years that, that I battled with my own health issue mm -hmm. was a, uh, quite, a, quite a learning, quite a learning journey for me right. and I was definitely in a couple of years of denial, uh, then to uh, another period where I basically was angry, uh, angry with everyone else, you know, blaming everyone else for the problem I have to deal with, to finally accepting that this is my life. You know, I better get used to it. I better move on. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think once I accepted that, you know, I don't know how I did it, but I somehow managed to get out of <laughs> That, that, that whole um, denial stage, that I finally accepted who I am and I decided to move on and then I figured out that, hey, if I'm going to be stuck with this, this kind of life that I have, with the health I am, then I might as well make the best out of it mm -hmm. and enjoy it. Things never happen positively to me. Right? There's always some hurdle, obstacle along the way, but each time when there's that obstacle and that, that downtime, I always try to look at it from a, from a positive way and say, okay, well, then what? Do I continue to mourn about it or do I want to move on and make the best out of it? And amazingly, every time when I think positively, mm -hmm. somehow an, an answer is, you know, is, is, you know, a door is open for me to move on. So that has been what quite motivating. Even though with the challenges each time we face, right. I somehow managed right. to figure a way out. Just like, you know, I didn't start off with actually wanting to be an artist. You can imagine being a Chinese from Hong Kong, I think my parents would kill me if I tell them I'm going to study, you know, studio art. Right. It wasn't because, it was definitely not something I wanted to, but because I was so sick. Turns out, it's so amazingly, because of that studio art degree, it really made me stand out from everyone. Uh, I don't know if anyone tells you, um, so I got into politics, uh, so I, I was the first member to the, the Legislative Council in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. So two weeks into our, our, you know, our, our uh, 
to the Legislative Council of Hong Kong, the president, the president then of LegCo, Legislative Council, came to me. He said, among our 16 members, you're the only one with a studio art degree. Wow. And, and when she said that to me, I thought, oh my goodness, is she saying that I'm not qualified for the job? Because everyone is a lawyer or this and that. I'm like, I'm studio art, right? You know what she said? It's like, well, after 150 years of British rule, now Hong Kong people, you know, we have our own legislative council. Guess what? We need a new logo for our parliament. So there you are. You are in charge. No, no, no we're not asking you to, to draw, but you are in charge of that project. Yeah. There you are. So, so the logo, the album that you see today was my pick. Almost most of the situation I've been put in is always about um, engaging different stakeholders mm -hmm. and, and, and try to get something done. So for the different initiatives that you are part of, which one do you think is most impactful or has the strongest impact on the future of Hong Kong? Uh, in that case, I would go with the, uh, the, waste, propose, the waste disposal okay. thing. Mm -hmm. Why it's important? But what we neglect to look at is the, the trash that we left behind. Right. Now, I would never even ask that question is, yeah, what happened to the waste that I created every day? Where does it go? Yeah, exactly. Where, where, where did they go, right? Because we're just a city. Now, by the way, in the old days, we used to dump across to the other border. Sorry, today the other side is Shenzhen. You cannot dump the, you know, the trash there. So where do we go? We have three, three only, um, landfill in Hong Kong. The problem is that that's all you have. And these landfill are filling up fast. In fact, they only have less than just a few years of you know, the lifespan in this landfill. Wow. So when they're filled, what do you do? Now, in other countries, apart from landfill, they use incinerator. You burn them. Right. Very logical solution. But in Hong Kong, same old problem. No neighborhood will agree to have an incinerator built near you. So after months and years and debate back and forth, we finally agreed to build an incinerator in a remote island near Lantau. But that is not yet built yet, okay? It's still under construction. But even with the completion, they can only look after something like 30% of the waste we produce right, daily. So you still have a problem. So, that's a huge problem. Yeah, so, so that's why doing those, um, the, one of the projects that I was put in charge of is a, a waste charging scheme. We want to use charges, you know, impose charges on you throwing trash to induce you to separate your waste. Because right. right now in Hong Kong, There's nobody cares. Maybe. Nobody cares, right. right? Tough. I mean, easy said than done because Hong Kong lives in high rises. But in Hong Kong, it's very difficult. You live in a 40-story you know, housing block. How do you do that? You don't expect everyone to come out to the street at the same time, right? Yeah. So there were lots logistical nightmares. So I was involved in that, yeah. figured out coming up with a plan how to work. A couple years' time, we're going to face a huge crisis where where is your trash going to be? Yeah. Now, I ask the same question about other cities too, right? New York City. Where did, where did New York City and Manhattan do with the trash? Apparently, I was told, Staten Island. They throw it there, but, but we, can't. we can't. We don't have a Staten Island for Hong Kong, so where do you do? So these are issues that people don't see it every day, but, but it's there. You know? So plans uh, say, oh, at least you know, we have done all the homework. We have all, we've done the, all the feasibility study. We did everything, and it's sitting on the shelf right now. Hopefully one day you know, the city can all get our act together. Hey, well, you know why? 
when there's an imminent crisis. The crisis is not here yet because we still have some room. There's still got a little bit of landfill left, so people still kind of like, ah. So amongst all the different uh, projects that you have done, now tell me, which one of it is your favorite that you have been involved in? Which one of it has been closest to your heart? Wow, that's an easy one. It, it will have to be the, the committee that I chair called the Antiquity Advisory Board, AAB. Okay. Uh, exactly what it is, is, is about preserving Hong Kong history. Well, actually, to be exact, preserving Hong Kong historical buildings. Mm -hmm. So I came on the time around 2006, and at the time where everyone talks about it, so I was tasked to grade all the 1,400 historical buildings in Hong Kong. And that is an amazing experience for me. You know what? It's not about grading the building. It's, it's not like how old, how aesthetic. It's not. It's about the history of Hong Kong. Because I grew up at a time where we learned so little about our own history. You know, we, you know, we, we, were, we were in the colonial, British colonial years, so not a lot our own, own history mm -hmm. were taught at school. So during the six years I was involved in you know, grading the buildings in Hong Kong, I got to know about that history, because each, behind each building, right. there's a history. Yes, and it's about the history of Hong Kong. So it was by far the most enjoyable experience I ever had in any public services. It's, it's in the area called Morrison Hill. Yeah. So I grew up, you know Morrison yeah, Hill? Yeah. So I grew up, I'm talking about 40-some years ago, right? I grew up at the time always referring my school to Morrison Hill. But there's no hill. There's no hill. There's no hill. Even the time when, you know, when I was a student, yeah. you know, in the, in the 70s, there was no hill. But you look at this. This painting is, this picture, this photograph is 1947. And there was a hill? This is the hill. Wow. It has to be that hill. Where else? Right. There's no hill today. This has to be, yeah. this, this has to be, because my, my school is around here. So there is a hill, Morrison Hill. What would you say about Hong Kong from the point of view of economic advancement, of how the city stands today from, uh, from a financial perspective in today's competitive market? I think the amazing um, uh, location of Hong Kong being we are at, you know, basically at the, at the gateway to the uh, Greater Bay Area. Mm -hmm. So, of course, this Greater Bay Area is just a new concept started like a year or two years ago. But in fact, it is not new. It's been around. I mean, Hong Kong has always been in uh, such a close proximity to the southern part of China. Now, of course, now with the rise of the middle class in China, I mean, 300 million. Right. You know, of course, not all 300 million are from the southern, but then, you know, so, you know still, we're probably talking about 50 million uh, from a region very close to us, you know, the whole entire Greater Bay Area of 70 million. So, so I think Hong Kong future is definitely not just about Hong Kong. It's the future together with our neighbors. Um, our future, at least it's beyond just Hong Kong. We have a market we, have to, we can access. Okay. So now you are on the board for Pomona College, which happens to be one of the top liberal arts college uh, based in California. And you studied studio art. You specialized in pointillism. Can you tell us a little bit about what exactly is pointillism and do you still keep that interest alive? Well, you know, because of my illnesses, I, you know, studio art was available. It was something that I can uh, do uh, off campus and mm -hmm. that's how it all started. Um, it was 
until my senior year. My, upon my senior year, I was physically, for the first time, back on campus. I didn't develop my own, because you know, I didn't develop my own style. So as in when I graduate, you know, I don't need to produce a, I mean, I don't, I don't have a thesis, but I have, a, I have to produce a project. So how do I differentiate myself and for my other uh, classmates? There were a total of there were a total of seven graduates that year, the following year, uh, an art major. So and and the other six classmates of mine, they already have over the years developed their own style, their own portfolio. I have none. Okay. So I thought, okay, then what? Then I realized that all the other six have developed something. Uh, something that I can never be as good as they are, right? Mm -hmm. So I was frantically looking for something of my own. I was trying to create my own. And I finally came upon this, oh, dot painting, dots. Nobody's doing dot, let's just do dot. But it wasn't as easy as I thought. So I started with a, I don't think anybody else copied and that. that's called pointillism? No, pointillism just dot. But it's not about pointillism. Okay. It's what do I use, what medium I use. I see. I use whiteout. You use whiteout. Whiteout. Like correction of fluid, basically. Right. So I use white out to do my dots. Do you have any paintings in oh, your yes. office? Oh yes, yes. Another room, another really? room. I have I all my paintings. You, I'll show it to you. So, uh, so I create this this wow. pointillism with white out. So that's my style. Yeah. So I was trying to make how to take advantage of uh, the dots and then combine them with. This is hard. Yes. Teach dot like yeah. oh my god. You gotta be a lot of You're patient. very patient. Gotta be a lot of patient. Are you that patient in reality? You trained me to be very patient, that's for sure. <laughs> so. Actual painting, the doing the painting part, it's not difficult. Okay. Uh, that won't take too much time. It might just take a couple of weeks. What really takes time is come up with the original idea. Okay. That could take weeks and months. Right. So no, I mean, my very last painting I did probably about four or five years ago. Okay. So, so I'm now kind of like on demand basis. In, you know, if I have to do it, okay. okay. But otherwise, uh, no. So, so, so tell me, um, you know, you did your degree in studio art, in pointillism, and then you ended up becoming such a successful business person. So can you tell our audience, in your opinion, how do you think a liberal arts education is valuable for a person who wants to go into business? You know, um, first of all, you know, I went to Pomona College, liberal art college, I really can. I really can't tell you exactly uh, if I actually fully understand what liberal art means at that time. Mm -hmm. I went there because I thought, oh, it's a good school, liberal arts. Oh, I but I fully don't actually appreciate and understand what that means until I got myself with this with this art degree of mine. Now, at the end of the day, you would ask, what does an art degree do? Probably nothing. But so it's not about what I do with the art degree, what is the technique I learn, it's not. It's the whole thinking process, right? So I still remember uh, the very first time I went back to college, I took the class, and the professor gave me a project to work on. And he only gave me a title. He didn't actually tell me how, right? So 
and I, I grew up in Hong Kong, I'm so used to spoon feed. People tell you, like, okay, this is how you do it. So I was completely lost. But for 10 minutes, I didn't know how to start. So I went back to the professor and said, listen, uh, what exactly you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? How should I proceed? And he was very upset with me. He said, what do you mean? This is your work, your painting. You do it. Why am I telling you? I think that was lacking in me at the time. I didn't know. I mean, I, I was so used to me telling me. And I, and I cannot imagine myself thinking out of the box, mm -hmm. right? Because I'm so used to like this. So I think if you were to ask me what liberal art is about, it's, it's the ability to think beyond the border, right? And, and you have to come up with that idea. And again, it, probably for the same reason that helps my job every day, because I can never always look at from my perspective, right? right. I have to f look from other people's perspective. And, and to solving problem, again, it cannot be only one track. You have to use all the dimension. Right. So I think to me, my definition of liberal arts was that training that provided to me at the time that allowed me to think beyond you know, you know, what I thought was the, was the solution to any problem, right? right? So what career advice would you give to a 22-year-old looking to build a career in business and politics? Well, the world is moving so fast, the world is changing. You ask me today, I don't even know what's going to happen 14 days from now anymore, mm -hmm. right? So I think uh, for 22 years old or any, or any age, I think you need to always um, look out and ready for changes. And so I think for 22 years old, there's nothing for him or her to lose. They, would, they should try things, even especially things that perhaps not as attractive mm -hmm. and less upside. Because okay. that's where I think he or she can make a difference. So are you ready for the rapid fire question round? I'm ready. That's getting to know Bernard's Hong Kong story in a bit more fun way. Your favorite solo activity? Ooh, hiking. Okay. Your favorite way to have fun with friends and family? Uh, playing beach volleyball. Your idea of romantic date? Hmm, not bothered by anybody. Your favorite casual and formal dining place in Hong Kong? Uh, clubs. I go to like the jockey club, so, you know, country club, AMC. Mm -hmm. Last time you did something for the first time. I went to a quarantine monitoring center to see how um, all these people coming back being put in home quarantine, how they've been checked. So I went there for the first time just recently. Very it's very interesting. We, we have many volunteers there to calling on all these people that were supposed to be staying at home and not leaving the home. So if you were not a business person or a politician, what would you be? An artist, a painter. And three words or three sentences that describes your Hong Kong life. Uh, busy, um, uh, engaged, and appreciation. Okay. What are you most proud of as a Hong Konger? That we are considered one of the most ideal places to live and to work. And what would you tell the global business leaders and policy makers? Why should they engage with Hong Kong? The system here works. Uh, 
we have you know the train, all the logistics we works, our health system works. We survive nicely from COVID-19 and we are safe. What would you tell the seven plus billion people of the world? Why should they visit Hong Kong? It is a place where you can have serious work, but yet you can also have a serious fun. It's a place where uh, you can have all in such a close uh, proximity. Well, thank you so much, Bernard, for coming to our show. And we wish you all the very best in all your future endeavors. Thank you.